So reading Philemon from verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Appiah, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I... Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending you my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be able to open God's word together. We're going to look at this, uh, this little letter that Benjamin has just read, the letter of Paul to Philemon. If you couldn't find it before, if you um, sort of gave up flicking, uh, it is the shortest of Paul's letters. It's the very last uh, in the sequence of Paul's letters in the New Testament. So that's one way to find it. Sort of start at Romans and just keep flicking till you come to Philemon or go to Hebrews and turn left. Um, so I'd love you to have your Bible open at this passage. 
We're going to think about this little letter this morning, and I'd like to pray uh, that God would give us understanding of his word as we come to this. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that your word is given to us to change us and shape us and encourage us and strengthen us, to convict us and convert us. We know that your word is powerful, that it's your word that you speak, and when you speak, things happen. And so we pray that things would happen now as we open this book of the Bible. We pray that you would encourage us and instruct us, that you'd challenge us and convict us, that you'd stir us up by your Holy Spirit and make us more like Jesus. We know that this will only happen if your Holy Spirit is at work in me as I preach and in all of us as we listen to your word. So we pray that your spirit would work now in our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I think it's fascinating the way sometimes uh, people's lives intersect most unexpectedly. Uh, late last year, I had a trip back to New Zealand, and uh, it was a work trip. I had half a day spare before my first meeting when I arrived, and so I was looking for a cafe in which to work, and I paced up and down the street um, looking for a cafe that was quiet, that had study space and free Wi-Fi. And uh, after a little while, I secured the cafe of my choice, and I stepped in the door, and immediately this um, young waitress comes up to me and says, hello, Mr. Capel. I, I, yeah, nearly died. Had no idea who this girl was. But turns out that she had been in the congregation that I was a pastor of 15 years ago in Auckland. So just one of these surprising, wonderful intersections of life. And I mention that because this little letter of Philemon is actually about the intersection of three people's lives. My summary of this letter is that it is from an old man to a good man about a bad man who's become a new man. If you, if you remember that, you've kind of got Philemon sorted. It's a letter from an old man to a good man about a bad man who's become a new man. The old man who writes the letter is the Apostle Paul. He calls himself an old man there in verse 9. You can see, I, Paul, an old man. I find that a little bit disturbing because if you do uh, the chronology, you find that he was about 55, which um, increasingly for me seems like a young man. But anyway, be that as may, he calls himself an old man. And he is an old man, he says there in verse 9, in prison. Uh, if, if you know the New Testament story, you know that the Apostle Paul is um, an, an amazing evangelist and church planter. He's traveled land and sea far across the, the ancient world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's planted churches. He's discipled people. He's mentored people. He's seen, I don't know how many people become followers of the Lord Jesus. He's raised up an incredible team of gospel workers. But as he's done that, he's repeatedly encountered persecution and opposition. And now, again, because of the opposition, he is in prison. He writes uh, from a prison cell around about the year A.D. 60. 
and he writes his shortest and most personal letter. He writes it to a good man. The good man is Philemon. Uh, It seems from the little phrase that Paul uses in verse 19 that Philemon was probably one of the people Paul has led to the Lord. Philemon has become a fantastic guy in the church of Colossae. You know how we have the the letter of Colossians uh, to the church in Colossae? Philemon is a leader there. It may well be that he is the leader of a house church there, and it's possible that when he refers in verse 2 to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, that he's talking about Philemon's wife and maybe his son, his household, and there's a church that meets in his house, and Philemon is just a fantastic guy. He's the kind of guy we would love to have in our church. Uh, He's he's a man of faith. He's a man of love. He, He encourages people. And I love that phrase in verse 7 where it says that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the saints. He refreshes people's hearts. He's the kind of guy who I think he'd probably take you out for a coffee and he'd sit you down and he'd talk about how you're going and he'd talk about Jesus and he'd talk about spiritual things and you'd come away and think, man, you know, pumped, ready to go again. Philemon was that kind of guy. A good man. But the disturbing thing in this story is that the good man is a slave owner. How how can the Bible, how can Paul, how can the New Testament present to us the good man in the story as the slave owner? How can, be the, how can the slave owner be regarded as godly and great value in the life of the church? We'll revisit that question. The story starts to get really interesting when we meet the third character, the bad man who's become a new man. His name is Onesimus. And it turns out that Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he has run away from none other than Philemon, the good man. In the ancient world, that was a serious crime. And it seems that he has stolen from his master as he has left. And so he has committed two serious crimes, potentially punishable by death. Now, he's run away from Philemon, and in the remarkable providence of God, somehow he's come in contact with the Apostle Paul. We don't know how that intersection of their lives occurs, but he's bumped into Paul, as you do in the ancient Middle East. And, and Paul, as he always does, has obviously shared the gospel with this guy. He's told him about the Lord Jesus. And it seems that as Paul has shared the gospel with him, Onesimus has become a believer And I love the phrase that he uses uh, there in verse 10 where Paul now talks about um, Onesimus as his child, his son. I appeal to you for my my child, my son Onesimus, a, a child in the faith. Paul, in fact, talks about Onesimus in the most glowing terms. He thinks he's a great guy. 
this runaway slave who's been converted. He actually seems to want to recruit him for gospel ministry. He wants him to be an intern in the local church. He wants him to do an MTS apprenticeship. He, he wants him to um, go to the RTC and study for ministry, which is a fantastic idea. Uh, Paul sees Onesimus as, as a great guy for gospel work, but he's not free to keep him for gospel ministry. He, he actually has to send Onesimus back because there's unfinished business in Onesimus' life. And I think this is just worth us noting in passing. Onesimus has been saved. Onesimus has become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you become a follower of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. All of them completely blotted out. And you will never have to deal with those sins before God again. But those sins often have consequences lingering in our lives. And we do have to go back and deal with the consequences, even of forgiven sin. And that is now what Onesimus is going to have to do. So in this letter, what's happening is Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And it's a letter written to facilitate reconciliation. Reconciliation between a Christian slave owner and a runaway slave who's become a Christian. What a fascinating intersection of lives. And it seems to me that that in this intersection of their lives, we really get a wonderful picture of what the gospel looks like in practice. A wonderful picture of how the gospel changes people and what it does in relationships and what it does to us. So I want you to to look at at what unfolds in this letter so that we might see what the gospel's meant to be doing in our lives. The first thing that I want to highlight is this. This letter shows us how useful the gospel makes us. It shows us how useful the gospel makes us. I say that because of a wordplay. Right at the heart of this letter, there's a wordplay on Onesimus's name. You see it in verse 11. And the wordplay is that Onesimus means useful. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And Onesimus, meaning useful, was a reasonably common name for slaves, kind of a nickname for slaves, because I guess that's really how slaves were viewed. They were useful. Um, Domestic slaves did all manner of useful things. Um, They could be janitors, cooks, dishwashers, gardeners, musicians, doorkeepers, couriers, wet nurses, well, I doubt that Onesimus was one of those, but um, maids, hairdressers, secretaries, childminders. If they were educated, they could be architects, writers, teachers, doctors. Useful was a pretty good name for for a slave. But useful had become useless. He'd ripped off his master and he'd run away. And in the strange providence of God, useless had turned up in Paul's life. Paul, as I said, had shared the gospel with him. He's become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now, Onesimus becomes useful in a whole new way. Now he really does become useful. He's become useful to Paul. As I've said, Paul would really like to keep him as a gospel worker. But he's also going to be useful to his old master. And Paul is sending him back to Philemon. And he sends him back saying, now he really will be useful to you. And he won't just be useful as a better slave, perhaps a more honest slave, a more hardworking slave, a more loyal slave. He won't just be more useful in that regard. He'll be useful in a completely different way. He'll be useful to him now, not merely as a slave, but as a brother, as a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll be useful perhaps in the home church. He'll be useful to Philemon in a completely different way. Look at how Paul writes in verses 15 to 17. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant or a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And you know, friends, I think this is really a wonderful picture of what the gospel does in our lives when we become followers of Jesus. When we become followers of Jesus, we're changed. And we become useful in a whole new way. For the very first time in our lives, we become useful to God. And we become useful in the work of God's kingdom. And useful in the gospel work of the church. And we become useful in a whole new way in other people's lives. And, and useful in a different way now in our families and in our workplaces and in our schools, wherever the Lord takes us. Most of us want to be useful, don't we? Um, who, who wants to be useless? Like, useless is a really cutting description, eh? I, um, I don't really like the idea of you going home and saying, man, Murray's a useless preacher. I've forgotten how useless he is. And that is, it's not really what I want. If you say to, you, say to a kid, you're just a useless little kid. That, that just cuts someone to the ground. That's, that's the most demeaning thing you can say. Friends, no one in the kingdom of God is useless. No one in the kingdom of God is useless. And God may well use you in ways you never imagined. He'll use you in other people's lives. And sometimes you'll be so surprised at how he's chosen to use you. He'll use you to do good. He'll use you to refresh the hearts of the saints in the way that Philemon was. He'll use you to serve your boss better than you used to. He'll use you to love your wife or love your husband differently 
from how you used to. He might use you as a leader in the church. He might use you in some area of ministry. He might use you very, very quietly, and most other people around have no idea how you're being used, but he's using you in a ministry of prayer or love or compassion or service. But I want to warn you, he may well use you where you don't want to be used. I'm pretty sure Onesimus wasn't dying to go back to Philemon. (laughs) But that is where he needs to go and be useful to God. I can tell you that when I was at university a very long time ago, I did not want to become a pastor. Uh, That was not my game plan. I had a much better idea. But eventually I felt led of God to go into pastoral ministry. I can tell you when I was a pastor, I did not want to become a lecturer. But in time, God messed up that plan as well. And I can tell you for sure that when I was a lecturer, I did not want to become the principal. And that went wrong as well. And I can tell you right back at the very beginning of that story that when I was growing up in New Zealand and thinking about various places around the world where I might like to live, (laughs) yeah, the one place I never wanted to live was Australia. (laughs) But, you know, I look back on all all those things I didn't really want or plan. And now I think I would way rather have God mess up all those plans and take me on these different paths and be useful to him than not have done them and not been useful. And I want to ask you all just this one question. Are you willing to be useful to God wherever he wants you to be useful. Might not be where you want to be useful. Are you willing to be useful to God wherever he wants you to be useful? That's the first thing that we see in this this wonderful little letter. The gospel makes us useful in a whole new way. The second thing that I think we need to see here is that it, it shows us how God's useful people treat each other. It shows us how God's useful people treat each other. Years ago, I was visiting the um, the United States, and uh, I I was with another guy, and it was arranged for us to go and stay with some people in L.A. And so we went to these people whom we didn't know. And as we arrived at their place, it was immediately apparent that we had fallen into the lap of luxury. We, um, we, we stepped into their palatial house, and it was just, it was fantastic. It was just amazing. Everything was plush and fancy and stylish and, and moneyed. I remember going to the bathroom and not really knowing how to use anything in there. It, it was all so, <laughs> so fancy. Uh, we were pretty blown away, and we would, um, 
keep saying to the, to the lady of the house, oh, look, thank you so much, and oh, you're so kind, and that's so generous. And she was really amazingly generous. Like, she literally threw us the car keys and said, look, you know, just use the car whenever you like. Like, whew, I wouldn't dare drive that car, but um, anything, you know, open the fridge, there's, there's everything in there, and there was. We were blown away. And so as we expressed to her time and again our, our gratitude, she then said this perler of a one-liner. She said, oh, it's nothing. She says, anyone who's a friend of Jesus is a friend of ours. Anyone who is a friend of Jesus is a friend of ours. She knew we were friends of Jesus, but Christian people, she treated us like best friends. Now, the issue in this little letter is now that Onesimus is a friend of Jesus, will Philemon treat him like a best friend? That's what Paul challenges Philemon with. Will Philemon refresh his heart, Onesimus' heart, the runaway slave, will he refresh his heart? Will he treat him as a friend? Will he welcome him as a saint, will Philemon be useful to Onesimus? Not just Onesimus, useful to Philemon. In uh, some of Paul's other letters, he's at pains to stress that the gospel breaks down all the barriers that exist between us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, a letter written probably at the same time as this one, to the same church community. It says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. All those barriers and divisions are broken down in Jesus Christ. So now, will Philemon see those barriers fall down and receive and treat Onesimus as a friend and a brother, not just a slave? Notice how Paul is talking about Onesimus. Paul, the great apostle, the church planter. He says of Onesimus, the runaway slave who's been converted, he says, he's my friend, he's my brother, he's a valued co-worker. And now he says to Philemon, receive Onesimus like you were receiving me. Verse 17, he says that. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. You can imagine the reception Philemon would give to the Apostle Paul. Well, receive Onesimus in that way. Notice how Paul bends over backwards to bring about this reconciliation. Receive him as you would receive me. If he's taken anything from you, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. Don't hold anything against him. If there's anything to hold against him, hold it against me. Paul is urging reconciliation between these two, not because forgiveness and reconciliation is easy, but because it is at the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ did more than bend over backwards to reconcile us to God. He gave his life 
in our place. He, in a more ultimate and supreme way, effectively said, if there's anything, any debt that they owe, put it to my account. Father God, treat them as you treat me. Jesus Christ has achieved the most amazing reconciliation. We could say Jesus has done the most useful thing that's ever been done. He's reconciled us to God. And now, as members of God's family, we become brothers and sisters with each other. Every other Christian that you meet either here at church or somewhere else, every other Christian is your brother or your sister in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what car they drive. It doesn't matter what job they have. It doesn't matter what school they attended or what ATAR they got. It doesn't matter what they look like, whether they're pretty or not. It doesn't matter whether they're successful or very, very ordinary. Every other friend of Jesus be a friend of ours, a brother or sister. We naturally gravitate toward people who are like us. But the gospel says, now we must gravitate to all those who belong to Jesus. And you know, one of the most useful things you can do in the life of this church is treat everyone else as a brother or a sister, no matter how you find them. Remember that uh, after church, when that annoying person comes up. Nah, we don't have any annoying people here in South Barwon, but I just said that in case there are people visiting from other churches. Um, remember that when you see someone Alone, isolated, not connected. Remember that when you're dealing with a Christian who has a past. Hmm. What Christian doesn't have a past? Remember that when you're dealing with someone in church who's failed you. And hurt you. This letter shows us how useful the gospel makes us. Then it shows us how useful people treat each other. One more thing in the letter that I want us to look at. I think it also shows us how to be useful in the world around us. That's a pretty big claim, but I, I think it shows us how to be useful in our world. I want to return to this disturbing fact that the good man in the story is actually a slave owner. Shouldn't he be the bad man? Why does Paul butter him up? Why does Paul say such complimentary things about him? Shouldn't this letter be a letter that slams Philemon? For being a slave owner? 
Why, why doesn't Paul come out and condemn slavery? Well, I think uh, Paul could have done that. But we need to remember the context. The church was fledgling and small and a persecuted minority. And if the church had positioned itself as a revolutionary movement set out to upturn slavery and other institutions, it would probably have been snuffed out almost immediately. But I think what Paul does here is something more subtle and ultimately more powerful. He undermines slavery, not by challenging the system at that time, but by attacking the very foundation on which it was built. You see, found, uh, slavery was built on the foundation of inequality. A slave in Roman slavery was not a, a person, but a possession, a chattel. A slave had no legal rights, no legal status, often couldn't even legally marry. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ comes along and says, in the kingdom of heaven, slaves and masters are equals. Christian slaves and Christian masters are brothers. And slaves have legal standing in the court of heaven. And as, as Paul says this kind of stuff, he is sowing a seed that will grow into a mustard tree. He is putting leaven in the batch of dough and it will permeate everything. And I think we see a principle at work here. Profound gospel change in society begins as the values of the kingdom of heaven take root in our hearts. The reality is that when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus, the, the values of Jesus Christ will start to mess with your life. It'll mess with your attitude to work. Mess with your finances. Mess with your business practices. Mess with your moral views. Mess with your parenting. Mess with your dating. Mess with your political allegiances. The gospel will mess with all sorts of things in your life in the best possible way. And as the gospel messes with our values and our attitudes and our mindset, it starts to make us useful people just right where we are. In your family, if you live the values of the kingdom of heaven in your family, You'll be useful there in a whole new way. That doesn't mean people will necessarily love you. doesn't mean your family will be instantly changed, but God will be using you there. He'll use you in your workplace and in your communities and in your school. And God is at work bringing change into this world one person at a time. 
So I'm suggesting that if you want to be really useful in the world, you live the values of the kingdom of God just wherever he has placed you. You may say, what, what difference can I make? I'm just one person. Maybe one person in a, in, a, in a very antagonistic context. What difference can I make? Um, when I think about that now, I think about a little story that um, Philip Skeepers told here a while back. It stuck, stuck in my mind. He talked about a little girl who was on a beach where um, thousands and thousands of starfish were being washed up. And this little girl saw all these starfish, and she was picking them up one at a time and tossing them back into the sea. And a, an old guy walked past and stopped and talked to this little girl, and he said, Little girl, you are not making any difference at all. At which she bent down, picked up another starfish, tossed it in, and said, I made a difference to that one. And you know, I think that's how gospel change actually works. Where God has placed you as a follower of Jesus. Live out the values and the attitudes of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he will make you there eternally useful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that the gospel is about changing us and we thank you that it changes us into really useful people. And we pray now then, having looked at this little letter, we pray, O oh God, that you would use us in really significant ways, maybe very small ways, maybe ways not really noticed by other people, maybe ways that are only just starting to make a difference where we are, but Father, we pray that you would make us useful. We pray that you'd make us useful in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. We pray that we'd be useful in this church and that we would treat one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we pray that through your work in our lives, you would continue to make a difference in this, your world. So we thank you for the intersection of these three lives. And Father, whether we're an old gospel warrior like the Apostle Paul, or whether we're a, a good value Christian person like Philemon, or whether we're a gospel newbie like Onesimus, we pray, O oh God, that you would use us for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.